Hello, my name is Sean Shields, and today I'll be your host for this SPCA podcast, looking at current trends influencing the building construction industry. My guest today is Chris Tachi, co-owner of Dynamic Construction in Stoughton, Wisconsin, and executive director of the National Framers Council. Chris, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, Sean. Excited to do a podcast with you. All right. Well, okay. So speaking of podcasts, Chris, you're our first framer on our podcast series. Tell us a little bit about how you got into the framing industry. Well, I had just graduated high school, had really no idea what I wanted to do. I was working at Pizza Hut as a prep cook. And uh, my childhood youth pastor was general contracting his own house, um, trying to do it for as little money as possible. So I said I would come over and help. Um, there was another guy there working, a local small contractor, helping do siding. So I picked up some snips and I started helping out with siding. This guy noticed that I could uh, work pretty hard. And uh, a couple of days later, he decided to offer me a job, which outside in the summer without a shirt on seemed a lot more appealing than Pizza Hut at 6 a.m. cutting up peppers. So um, that's how I kind of got into construction. Um, the framing side of things, there was another guy at my church, uh, Don Ludzek, who was looking for young, good, hard workers. Um, him and this other contractor, Craig Rowley, were friends. Craig couldn't keep me busy, so he sent me over to Don and I uh, put on a tool belt, started banging walls, and I loved it. So you never looked back. Was there a moment no. when you decided like, hey, I can make a pretty good living at this. I love doing this. I'm going to stick with this. Yeah, I mean, um, it's, it's sort of, you talk about kids and getting kids into the construction industry. And I, I just, I loved being outside. I loved getting a tan. Um, I loved using my hands to build things. I didn't do very good in the classroom setting. I, I barely got out of high school. And for me, when I got out and, and started framing, I understood it. I could see it. Um, I could envision where I wanted to go as far as building a wall. Uh, and I felt challenged. Um, so for me, it was something I picked up on it right away. I was good at it right away. Um, and so, so pretty much as soon as I got into it, I loved it. Remind me again, how many years ago did you start in the framing industry when you were? It was, uh, it, it was, uh, 1997. Um, okay. And I was 17 years old. By the time I was 20 years old, I was working as a subcontractor. And at 21 years old, I signed my first contract to frame 26 houses over the course of a year for a local general contractor. Had, uh, I think I brought on two employees at that point. At 21? At 21, yeah. Yep, that's correct. I, and to be fair, I had no idea what I was doing. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, I knew, uh, you know, I knew the basics of framing, but during that time, it was just everyone's building houses as quickly as possible. You can't get enough framers. You can't get enough labor. Um, if you could swing a hammer, they'd give you a contract to build whatever you said you could build. Um, and so a set of stairs that would take me four hours to build today, um, you know, I'd be sitting there for two days trying to figure out what my platform height was, my my rise, where my treads were going to come out to. Um, 
you know, so I struggled through a lot of that. Um, but to be fair, in the framing industry, that's how most of us learn. Um, a lot of guys get out on their own way early um, and they struggle through a lot of things. So, you know, maybe your CMs who are listening to this, there is a whole variety of guys who are out on their own doing this stuff and saying they can do all this stuff. But they're learning. They're all learning. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it never really stops. I mean, you get into the really high level, uh, intricate stuff. You know, I started building curved stairs about uh, 10 years ago. And, uh, and that was challenging and fun for me. We're always learning. <laughs> We're always figuring it out. This makes me wonder, Chris, is there a hierarchy in framing? Like, is there a career path that a typical framer would go through from your experience? Well, you sort of, you talk about, um, I mean, there's inside of the unions, there's outside. Outside, um, yeah. I mean, it's constantly changing with sort of the way labor is changing and uh, Latino labor getting into framing. In the Midwest, it's been in the last five years. Now, you know, uh, different parts of the country, that labor pool has existed for uh, coming into the third generation. But for me, the way the hierarchy's always worked is you get some kid who's 18, 19 years old who doesn't mind hard work, wants to wants to get a tan, and um, and he works as a laborer. He humps studs all over the site, and, and you slowly learn the trade from there. Right? There's uh, you're going to bang walls, you're going to sheet floors, you're going to uh, sheet roofs. Uh, and eventually, I always say the uh, the corner boxes, or some people call them bird boxes. Um, it's an end detail on a gable. Every laborer or lower tier framer wants to learn those for some reason. You're working with angles, you get to use a framing square. It's, uh, when you're a kid, you think, wow, that, that'd be cool to know how to do that. You learn it. And then you almost immediately regret having learned it because you've got to go up on this 30-foot extension ladders, um, you know, in these precarious positions to, uh, to work with angles and try to put this material in. And the siders always complain about that. But back to the hierarchy. So, uh, so from there, you get into doing a little bit of layout, interior walls, exterior walls. Um, you know, a guy who's really sharp, I had a guy I hired for nine bucks an hour and three years later, he was marking Joyce layout on a 20,000 square foot footprint for me for apartment buildings. That's a really fast trajectory. Wow. Yeah. So generally what's great about framing is guys will give you as much responsibility as they think you can handle. There's always a need for more knowledge. There's always a need for a guy who can do X, Y, or Z. So once you're growing in your knowledge, at some point you sort of understand in the house building world that the, the money's at being out on your own. That's the phrase we use. Um, so usually what happens is you talk to a few of your friends that you've made who are also framers, sometimes on the same crew, sometimes from different crews. You guys have gone different ways. And you get a group of like three guys together and you say, hey, I talked to this builder, he's looking for a framing crew, how about the three of us do it? One guy says, I've got a compressor. Another guy says, I've got two nail guns. Okay, what else do we need? And you show up and you start framing. And then, you know, you fill in the blanks in terms of tools that you need. Uh, it's very bare minimum. You know, do we really need to buy a 20 foot ladder? I don't know, can we get away with not buying? Um, so that's sort of the, 
those are like the 23 year old guys who are nearly, you know, newly out on their own. Um, from there, you sort of, if you're good at it, you get a lot more options. General contractors, they tend to all work in the same development. So they keep an eye on what's going on in their competitors' houses. They see something going up fast, something interesting. They might drive by and, uh, and ask you what your name is and give you a business card or drop off a print and ask for a price. And, um, you sort of build your reputation from there and you grow in knowledge of your local industry. You understand who the good GCs are, uh, who are the ones to stay away from that more or less comes down to the ones who are, who are willing to pay you. <laughs> um, uh, you know, and, and a lot of guys are sort of stick around that framing single family homes. They'll get into the really nice custom stuff and a guy can frame and bang those out. I mean, I know guys who are, doing it still and they're 54 years old and there's some back surgeries there but um from there usually a framer will sort of you know i my body started around 35 36 i, I thought well i can't this is getting too much <laughs> i can't do this forever a lot of framers will then look to trim carpentry and start learning that um another really good option something we get into is a lot of general contractors used to be framers uh, framers will get into general contracting because of the nature of our job. We have to have an understanding of almost every other trade. You know, we have to understand where the roofer is going to want to put his roof fence. Uh, we have to understand where the toilet's going to land in the bathroom so we don't, you know, put a joist right there. Um, we have to understand where on a two story HVAC is going to have to want to bring all their cold air returns through open floor plans. It's a big challenge to have spots for them. Um, so the framer has to understand almost every other trade in order to do his job well and properly. So you see a lot of framers eventually getting into general contracting because of that. Awesome. Yeah. You know, Chris, you told me uh, earlier mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, you became a framer, you went out on your own. And then you spent about 20 years trying to get a seat at the table with component manufacturers and lumber yards to talk sure. to them about material, to be part of that uh, material selection process, that kind of thing. Can sure. you explain to me why you wanted that so bad? Why was that an essential thing for you? Sure. And why do you think all the other players were so hesitant to have you at the table? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, you know, I, I uh, gave a presentation at BCMC two years ago, and the thing that struck everybody in that crowd I said, if you think sequencing floor trusses in a factory is difficult, then try doing it in a foot of mud. <laughs> um, hmm. So, you know, as a framer and, you know, as a labor only framer, the amount of time that it takes to produce a building, I mean, my profit margin swings can be huge. Um, if there are things in place that are set up for me to be successful, I can make 100% more profit on a job. Uh, if all the pre-construction planning works in my favor. So I try to get involved on the front end, pre-construction planning. Um, I would talk to general contractors, lumber salesmen, CMs, and, uh, you know, I want to be involved. I want to see the shops. I want to make sure this stuff's all coming out in the right order and, it's, and it has all the bells and whistles that I need. Uh, nobody wanted me in that conversation. You know, the main reason, I'm gonna add cost. I'm gonna sit down at the table, I'm gonna ask if there's uh, ladder rakes uh, coming from the CM 
for my dropped gables. I'm going to ask, are my roof trusses sequenced? Um, I'd like to have X, Y, or Z built into the wall panels that are coming out. And I'd like them all sequenced. I want them grouped by exterior, interior, demising wall, corridor walls. You know, those guys never wanted me at those meetings. CM gave their price in our market. Uh, CM sell to lumber yards generally. Uh, lumber yards sell to the GC. It was just adding cost for everybody. And in the end, um, you know, nobody wanted to pay more for me to be successful is essentially what it came down to. Um, so it was very frustrating for me. I bet, especially when you can see the opportunity right there in front of you. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it goes back to, have you ever sequenced floor trusses in the mud? Um, I have. Five years ago, I was in Platteville, Wisconsin, standing in a foot of mud, putting down as many two by six as I needed to keep my floor trusses, uh, bottom cords clean enough to install them. You're shuffling 300 floor trusses just to get them up there. I mean, you're talking two hours of crane time for a sequenced load against, you know, eight hours of crane time for just something that's bundled according to production. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it's such a huge difference. And I would even go as far as to tell these CMs, you know, I will, I'll send guys up to your yard as long as I have a nice dry surface. I'll arrange everything. I'll band everything. Um, nobody wanted to take the time or give me those considerations. So, yep. So that experience that you had, uh, that yeah. frustration led you to adopt a different business model, right? Now you yeah. supply the materials and the framing labor. Just walk me through, it might be a little bit of a dub, but walk me through like, how has that benefited you? Sure. Um, I mean, from that frustration and it sort of segues into I guess I was completely unaware of this business model until I joined the Framers Council. And I think maybe get into that a little more later. But um, for me, it was sort of understanding that it came down to who's writing the check. The guy writing the check is the one who has the power. He's the one who makes the call on what comes out on site, right? So for me, it was, I want to be the guy writing the check. I want to be the guy paying the CM. And he's going to listen to me. He's going to design to my standards. And, uh, and, and that's how we're going to go from now on. And so, uh, so now, you know, if I see something in a print, if I see something that can be value engineered, I can look at it with, from a framer's perspective. I can pass some of that savings on to a GC. I can keep some of it for myself. I can say I want rake ladders. I want sheathed gables. I want sheeted smoke trusses. Um, I want all these things so that my framers can be as successful as possible. So I'm doing a few things. I'm willing to pay the CM what he needs to do those things for me. So he's getting extra revenue. I'm also streamlining the project for my framers so that they're more successful in the field. There's less things that they have to worry about. So it's it's all about control. You know, um, when I got into the turnkey thing, I spent uh, a few hours on the phone with George Hull. Um, everyone knows George. George is a great guy. And that's what he kept coming back to. It's, it's all about control, Chris. When you have control uh, of the material, then it's coming out the way you want. Everyone's going to be more successful. Your GC is going to be happier. Your subcontractor is going to be happy. 
and your component manufacturers are going to be happy. So it makes a lot more sense for me as a business model to be involved with all that. I mean, we're, you know, we're dealing with it. I'm doing takeoffs on site. If I'm labor only, I'm still handling material. I'm doing takeoffs on site. I'm unloading the material, right? As a turnkey framing contractor, I'm doing all those things, you know, that I would be doing anyway. I'm making a margin on the material and I'm serving my subcontractors better and they're getting uh, more value on their install. So uh, it just makes sense for everyone. So this makes me curious. You've moved yeah. to this different business model in the market than how most framers work, right? Buying, getting the trusses through the, the lumber yard. Have you seen other framers do this same thing? Has there been any pushback from the traditional lumber yards that you've worked with since they've, I guess, lost that business? Sure. How has that gone going forward? Yeah, you're correct. It's usually the uh, the GCs are buying from the lumber yards, buying trusses, all that stuff. And, you know, there's uh, at initially when I started doing the work and uh, I got awarded a a project it was 175,000 square feet so it was a it was a big fish and there was a lot of people after it there were some guys who were upset uh, in our market but I also got phone calls with well wishes uh, just sort of welcoming me as a new competitor um, I think you know in the Midwest we're I like to say we're very geographically insulated from innovation that is you know, the national home builders, they're all California, Texas, Florida, and then you've got the whole East Coast. All the new ideas and the way things change come from there. We're, I mean, we're directly in the middle. <laughs> so so uh, the Midwest is usually one of the last places to innovate. Um, there's products that have been in heavy use across the country for the last 10 years that are just starting to show up in Wisconsin. So I got well wishes. I got, you know... I hear rumors of guys saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to fall on my face and it'll never be successful. Uh, but everywhere where turnkey framing has been introduced, it's been successful. As a turnkey framer, then, you work directly with the component manufacturers, which yes. hopefully is a good thing. Do, do you have component manufacturers that you prefer to work with? Yeah, I work uh, right now. I'm buying exclusively from uh, API up in Marshfield, Wisconsin. Um, okay. I deal with John D's vice president up there uh, quite a bit. So that makes me curious. What what is it that API does differently uh, than their competitors? What, what sure. why do you work exclusively with them? I think uh, in our market, um, about seven years ago, Sam started doing sequencing. Not all of them, but it sort of started getting introduced. On the front end, I met John Dees about seven years ago. Uh, John was very interested in what I wanted, what I wanted to come out to the job site, how I wanted things to look, the order I wanted everything. So John gave me a very solid impression. He was there to serve me and he was there to work for me. This despite him uh, selling through a lumber yard. So that left a really great impression on me. Um, I made sure to keep a good solid relationship with John and I've only been buying and selling components for since Q3 of this year. Um, you know, I started 
the beginning of 2019, really setting up the structure to do that. Uh, but ever since I met John and ever since I had a job supplied by John, um, I have pushed general contractors to John. Uh, one of the first things a framer is going to ask when he's looking at a panel job, a panel bid, as a labor-only framer, he's going to ask where the panels are coming from. We all have a list in our minds of the places we prefer those panels to come from. I had that. I had about three CMs on that list. And when I talked to a GC, if one of those three CMs weren't on their list, I made sure to suggest one of those three CMs. John was at the top of my list. Uh, he's always been interested in giving me what I want. And so when I decided to start buying panels, uh, he was the first one I approached. What do you think uh, API's motivation was for treating you that way, for, for making things so framer focused? Like what did they I get think, out of it? I think they understood that I, I can be their, uh, their best salesman. Uh, I think they understood that uh, good framing contractors are pretty hard to come by. Uh, good framing contractors get scooped up by the best GCs. Uh, none of us want to deal with any hassle, disorganization. And so uh, when you recognize a good framer, you're getting a good in with a good uh, general contractor. Um, and they're right. I went out there and I sold for them. I pushed their products when, even when I didn't have a direct financial stake in it, I knew that I would be more successful and make more money if I had their products on my job site. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep. So I'm curious, you told me one time, I'm gonna switch focus just a little bit, but you told me one time that every framer believes they know the best way to frame a building, right? <laughs> That's right. That's, uh, I was, Every framer believes that they're God's gift to framing. That's right. What? I'm curious, like what is it about the the culture of framing or maybe it's just the, the mentality of a framer that breeds that, that perpetuates sure. that? I'm just curious. Oh, that's, uh, that's interesting. Um, there's a few things. We're the ones actually creating the structure. Uh, we're looking at a pile of wood and at the end of the day, we've created something someone can live in, right? That's... That feeds your ego pretty well. <laughs> um, hmm. um, you know, most of us have a chip on our shoulder. Um, maybe it goes a little bit back to uh, we're the ones our work affects all the rest of the trades. Um, we're the ones creating and putting up this structure. Uh, a lot of us are self-made. So a lot of us have started out, get paid nine bucks an hour or whatever. And now we've got these two or three guys who uh, listen to us, have to do what we ask. Um, you know, there's a sort of cliche thing, putting the owner or president on your business card. You know, you're 22 years old and you want to put your title of president on your business card. We're self-made. And, that, uh, and that's pretty important to us. We feel like we're masters of our destiny. We're not jerks, but um, we definitely feel like we've earned the position we have, I guess, is a, is a good way to put it. And we're constantly comparing ourselves to other framers. When I was 25 years old, I'd get into development. And one of the first things I do is I look around and I see the other houses that are being framed. And I make a mental note of where they're at. And two days later, when I look around, 
I'd turn to my buddy and I'd say, see those guys, they're still working on exterior walls. And we'd joke, we, you know, we're faster than them. We're better than them. Um, you know, even on the job site, it's uh, who can frame an exterior wall faster. I used to, uh, at one point I was managing a company with uh, 75 framers and I had a, an open invitation to race against me building an exterior wall. Caveat was, uh, if you beat me, I'd pay $2 an hour more. But if you lost, I'd take away 50 cents. So, um, and that's really a part of our culture. Who can be the fastest? Who can be the best? Uh, did you see those guys down the road? Did you see what happened with them? Um, there's a strong competitive nature in framers. I'm getting that sense. Yeah. So let's turn for a moment <laughs> to the, the National Framers Council. Uh, sure. Why did you initially become a member of, of NSC? Well, I had a need that arose. I needed to get a safety plan in my hands quickly. Um, so I went to my computer, did a quick Google search, Framers Safety Plan. Framers Council popped up first thing, top of the Google search. I, I took a look at the web page, Frame Safe program, looked like exactly what I needed. So I called and uh, I talked to staff and basically said, what what kind of a check do I have to write out to have a safety plan in my hand in two days? <laughs> um, so they staff started gathering some of my details. I'm, I'm in Stoughton, Wisconsin. Oh, our office is in Madison. I said, great. I'll drive the check up tomorrow morning. <laughs> so just in time delivery of a safety yeah, plan. Yeah, yeah, just in time delivery. Um, so in fact, I did. I drove up to the uh, Qualtim building. And, uh, and I found it was Lena at the time and started chatting with Lena a little bit more about, uh, the framers council, a little bit about, uh, SBCA. And I was really curious about NFC. I was curious about the direction it was going. It was really young at the time. I mean, I think we were just putting together the directors committee or they were, but a few things happened. Uh, Lena definitely got the impression I was interested in being more involved in the NFC. She also, I think, recognized that here's this guy that knows a lot about framing. This is 2013. Um, and we've got a building full of people who affect this guy's industry. Um, there's a, there's a good resource for Qualtim here. So she asked me if I'd be willing to come in and talk with some of the people on staff about BCSI or a few other things. And, and so the relationship sort of evolved into something where, you know, I was coming in once a month or having you guys out on site to take pictures of my work, to learn more about the practicalities of how we deal with trusses. But that was my first steps into NFC and, and sort of being involved with SBCA. So you get more heavily involved over time. Yeah. I'm curious, um, over that time, since since you started, what have you seen occur with NFC that, I, I guess I would say, encourages you about the NFC's direction and what it promises for the future for framers? Sure, sure. When I first got involved, I got a call from Kenny Shefflett, asked me to be on the director's committee, which is more or less um, a committee of guys talking about how to get the word out about the Framers Council. I jumped on those phone calls and, you know, it was Kenny Shifflett, Scott Stevens, Bruce Jones, I mean, it was 
pretty big deal guys in our industry. Um, but sort of where have I seen uh, NFC go? You know, in the early years, we were very safety focused and we've always been safety focused, but the safety program was really the sell. Uh, that's how we were looking to bring in new members. Uh, we were doing regional meetings, going around, talking Kenny and Scott. They called it their uh, dog and pony show, going to wherever they could to get framers in a room to listen and, and learn more about the NFC. Um, I was involved with some of that, traveling for a few of those. Uh, and then about maybe it was two and a half years ago, uh, Kenny Shifflett said, well, you know, we've, we've got the frame safe out there. People are aware of it. What does NFC want to be when they grow up? So we sort of changed our focus and, and the idea was out there. It was Kenny's idea. Well, let's, let's have a framer summit. Let's see who we can all get into a room and let's, uh, let's sort of hitch on to BCMC and see what happens. And this was maybe two and a half months before BCMC was scheduled to go. And I think most of us on the phone call were pretty skeptical about the whole thing. Um, we ended up having our first Framer Summit two years ago, and it was it was a huge success. We got, you know, we got like 60 people in the room. Uh, we got some speakers, you know, some social things. But what was really great was you get 40 of the best framers in the country together in a room and we all just start talking shop immediately. So it was sort of, wow, this is, we're really, we've really hit on something here. Um, we started forming these committees to start producing things beyond the safety program. Um, committees have worked all throughout 2019, sort of a new thing for us. Um, and then at Framer Summit this year, we almost doubled our attendance and you know, where does the future of NFC lie? I think it lies in what are these committees going to produce to help our industry? Um, I'm really excited about what's going on in the committees. One of the major things for the steering committee this year is what can we do more to support the work of these committees to get more value for our members out of what's created there? So when you think about this value that uh, the subcommittees will help NFC provide to the membership, what do you think the component manufacturer can get out of encouraging uh, their framers in their market to be a part of NFC? How is that a good thing for them? That's a good question. Um, one of the ways I've directly benefited from my membership with the Framers Council is I've been exposed to all these very professional framing contractors who understand best practices, who understand standards, who understand professionalism uh, more, much more than I, I did at all. I've been able to take those practices and incorporate them into my business and it's improved my business tenfold. Uh, so if a CM is pushing a framing contractor uh, towards the NFC, that framing contractor, I truly believe, is going to be affected in a very similar way. It's going to make him a better businessman. It's going to make him a better framer in general. Just learning the tips and tricks that we use out on site, I mean, you're getting access to the best guys in the country 
you know, hey, how do you do X, Y, or Z? And our membership, we're always happy to share that kind of stuff uh, with new members. There's a lot of us who spend a lot of time on the phone coaching and mentoring uh, framing contractors. So as a CM, when your framers are involved in the NFC, they're going to be growing their business in a way that benefits the CM directly. Excellent. All right, so last question for you, Chris. Time to look into your crystal ball. What do you think will be one of the most significant changes that will occur in the framing industry over the next five to 10 years, given the trends that you're seeing? Oh, man. Um, that's a big question. <laughs> it is. Um, it's okay. You can be wrong. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um there's a few things that, that are happening the way that in the Midwest things are moving. Uh, you see general contractors, this has happened a lot on the East coast, a lot in California. You see general contractors who are, uh, you know, general contractors don't build anything these days. General contractors contract, right? That's what they're good at. They're good at writing contracts. They're good at mitigating risk. GCs are working with their insurance companies, raising their standards all the time raising the standards for the needs for safety, um, you know, different coverages. So what's happened in those markets starting to happen more in the Midwest, where a general contractor, by nature of their business, can't do business with a smaller framing contractor. So what you're starting to see is a sub-tier structure where you're having a professional framing contractor like me, somebody who's good at paperwork, somebody who's good at insurance, somebody who's good at safety, contracting with sub-tier framing contractors to get work done. You know, to take a 200,000 square foot building and to uh, try to contract that with some guy who's got 10 framers and he's out in the field every day. Uh, from a paperwork perspective, that's more difficult. So in the Midwest, I see framing moving more towards that sub-tier structure. Um, you know, for us, we're a little bit ahead of the curb in terms of uh, plans and plan reading and architectural standards. Uh, 10 years ago, you could take a four-story building and I could look at that print and I knew what every header in that building would be without looking at structurals, right? I could just look at the floor plan and the rough openings. That's not the case anymore. If I want to lay out a first floor wall on a four-story building, I have to reference 13 pages before I can make a single mark on that wall plate. So as that skill diminishes in Wisconsin, it continues to diminish in the rest of the country. Um, there's some parts of the country where plan reading and construction, even on a four-story building, is still a little bit of a Wild West proposition but that's constantly changing. And as plans get more technical in more regions of the country, that's gonna usher in the need uh, for BIM modeling and computer-aided design, a skill that a lot of CMs uh, have and can offer up as a solution to that problem. So in the multifamily world, I definitely see stick framing diminishing. Um, you know, whether that's CMs doing their own modeling or, uh, you know, I've even seen some framing contractors who are bringing in BIM in order to keep that skill in-house. Uh, so th that need is definitely there. Um, 
one of the other things that's super interesting, and I think that everybody at the most recent Framer Summit got a look at it, and I think it's going to be the way soon, is robotic marking for our walls, uh, for our layout. Um, I'm dealing with some guys from North Dakota who are using laser positioning in a way that I couldn't even conceive of. Um, it's making a huge difference in terms of on the front end, making sure our buildings start out correctly. I'm pretty sure that robotic marking for wall placement, uh, 10 years from now, it's just gonna be the way. I mean, it's, it's that much better than the taking the paper print and tape measure. It's gonna take over. Mm. Um, yeah, but I guess I see more turnkey framing. I see framers taking more and more control of what's actually showing up on the job site in terms of whose components are coming out and then the products that are specced on the job site. Um, you know, one thing to remember with the turnkey framing contracting thing is if I can pay more for a product and swap it out against a cheaper product on the front end and it saves me 30% on my labor uh, install, I'm gonna go with that more expensive product every single time. Um, that's pretty unique against what it has been where uh, you've got three lumber yards bidding a job and they're trying to bid the cheapest stuff they can because uh, general contractors are more concerned about that bottom line. I can affect my bottom line in a positive way by bringing a superior product and reducing my labor cost. Mm. So, Excellent. Yep. Well, Chris, thank you for taking the time today to join us on our podcast. Thank you, Sean. I, I appreciate you having me. I'd also like to thank our listeners for spending this time with us, hopefully gaining some insight into the current state of the framing industry and opportunities, obviously, for component manufacturers to partner with framers in their market. Thank you for listening to SBCA's podcast, Component Connection. We are committed to bringing you a variety of information via this podcast. Please email your feedback or suggestions for future topics to podcast at sbcindustry.com. 